and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a Scranton girl. In campaign headquarters across Pennsylvania, candidates for Senate and Governor and their senior staffs are having discussions about Philadelphia. While it took a few days and much was said before, during, and after, the final count of Pennsylvania's largest city was 736,530 voters casting their ballots. That's more than literally dozens of other Pennsylvania counties combined and more than entire states. President Biden had about 604,000 of those votes. While the city's overwhelmingly Democratic, Republicans have made gains, and they also have plenty to say in their stump speeches about Philadelphia. Now, I would argue that Bob Brady, chairman of the Philadelphia Democratic City Committee, who served two decades in Congress, he knows more about Philadelphia than anyone else. We're going to have an in-depth conversation about the upcoming election with him, as well as what he believes is the top policy issue that every candidate needs to have a plan to address. He's not afraid to name names and speak his mind, and I'm really looking forward to having a great conversation today. And the question in Pennsylvania, we know Biden is going to eat into that Trump lead uh, when all is counted. Is he going to eat all the way into it and take the state or is he going to fall just short? So that update in Philadelphia, big, big Democratic area will be very interesting to see how much he's able to cut into that Trump lead. Congressman Bob Brady, Chairman Bob Brady, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you. Appreciate it. So we are just weeks out from the uh, from the primary uh, to be determined exactly when petitions are going to be circulating. But I think folks would love to hear your thoughts uh, on the uh, Senate primary field. And uh, there's other primaries uh, at play and and really how uh, candidates can maximize turnout in Philadelphia. Well, we're on a holding pattern, as you know. I think they're meeting on Friday. The Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments and people are speculating. And it's only speculation that petitions may come out March 1st. With the shorter, there used to be a three-week uh, period where they can challenge and also to get petitions. Now they understand maybe just a, just a two-week period, you know. doesn't matter to us. We're ready no matter what, you know. And I think the hold up probably, well, they have to have general arguments for discussions for uh, the state reps, which are pretty much together, and the Senate, which is pretty much together. And I think what the holdup may probably be is the uh, congressional maps. Now, the congressional maps, everybody put a map in. We'll vetoed it. And there's a, a bunch of maps that go in front of the Supreme Court. I believe that they had a person that was the fifth person on the House side and Senate side. Uh, the House and Senate have two from the House, uh, two from the House, Democrat, Republican, two from the Senate. Uh, Democrat, Republican, and the, and the fifth person was put appointed by the Supreme Court. It's my understanding that that person is now going to be drawing or picking the maps for the congressional. And the sooner the better. You know, we don't want to be having, we don't, we hope, and what I'm hearing is that the primary may not get pushed back. But for sure, we were supposed to file petitions starting tomorrow. That's being pushed back. But like I said, that's that that we got plenty of time to do the petitions and go through the uh the, the process that we had to go through with people challenging them or whatever, you know, with following them and 
and then uh, hopefully we don't push the primary back anymore. You've been involved in Philadelphia politics up to your eyeballs for so many years. Has there ever been uh, uh, something like this with, uh, with, yeah, we, with a, we, a delay and a condensed period? We had it when the Supreme Court overturned what we did in 2010. The Supreme Court overturned it and we did the uh, congressional maps. So which is actually we did in 2010, the Supreme Court, I believe, overturned it maybe like seven, six years later, you know. And yeah, we had we've had it, you know, but we're we're vets. We've been there, you know, Uh, the general public probably isn't that much interested in it. They're interested in hopefully they're interested in voting and our, our process that we have to go through again on petitions will be shortened up. But I believe that's the only drawback we'll have. We have about 7,000 listeners. They're all over. Certainly a lot are in Philadelphia. But maybe if you could just take a step back and share a little about city committee, uh, about the ward infrastructure, when just mechanically how folks, uh, whenever that might be, are going to begin circulating petitions. Yeah, we uh, actually, and and on this particular election, all our committee people are running. We have roughly 3,400 of them. We have 17, 16, 34 divisions times twos, like 1,700 committee people that are filing petitions. And Democratic City Committee has committee people that file to be, we have 17, 634 divisions, two committee people per division. They all file to become a committee person. Uh, we have a time frame that we have to follow. I think it's the two weeks after primaries when they meet for a ward leader and the committee people that run in the city fail for the win in the respective wards. The city has 69 broken up in 69 wards. They meet at, a, at a, a specific time and place, and it's supposed to be the last time that they met to stop shenanigans with people moving all over the city. And uh, they meet at a specific time and place on a Monday night and elect a ward leader, and then the following week, ward leaders get there, get together, and elect the chairman. So that's the process we have here. Now, what we do on the statewide, we had a meeting with the uh, state committee, and they endorsed uh, Josh Shapiro. And uh, and our lieutenant governor Davis, uh, they uh, they we endorsed them, but we we kept the uh, the United States Senate open. And the race for the United States Senate, you needed uh, two thirds of a vote to get endorsed on any and any endorsement statewide uh, with that with the state committee, you need two thirds. And uh, Connor Lamb got the most; he got like sixty one to sixty two percent, followed by Featherman, followed by. Uh, Malcolm Kenyatta and uh, Valerie Okush ran but dropped out when she didn't get enough votes. So that's the statewide endorsement is Josh Shapiro, who's running on the post, I believe. So you know, have the farm petitions. Anybody can file against them, but I believe he was a, a major uh, front runner. And we do have an opponent against uh, Representative Davis out of the, out of the uh, Pittsburgh area. Uh, we have uh, Brian Sims, a state legislator out of Philadelphia, that's also running for lieutenant governor. Did not get uh, our tour. Davis Scott, Representative Davis Scott, did require two thirds of a vote along with Josh Shapiro. So that'll be a primary if Brian Sims decides to run. And then for our uh, for our state legislators, our state senators, uh, warriors get together, and we've been criticized about this. It's not my rule. It's been a rule since 1954 that legislators in respected divisions, uh, warriors in respected divisions, uh, get together. And whoever has the highest vote on the last election, last municipal election, becomes what they call a convener. And if Bob Brady's running, and I had a run when I ran as Congress in, in, in a division, and I have like three warriors in it, whoever got the highest vote becomes the convener. 
they call convener convenes the meeting. They pick a chairman of the wards that are in that district, and then they vote their committee people. And the highest vote then gets the endorsement, respectively, for state for state legislator, for state senate, and for United States Congress. So the districts are are, are being uh, get endorsed by the by the respective wards that live in that district. And statewide gets endorsed or not endorsed by state committee members to get elected. So that's our process. You know, again, we've been criticized and have been criticized that uh, there should be an open process. But I got a problem with putting 3,400 people in a room, <laughs> you know, and it's not my problem that I have. It's just the way the rules are, the way the rules are written, you know, uh, to avoid putting 3,400 people in a room, you know, and having them. The other counties do it. They have a convention, but other counties don't have 3,400 committee people, you know. So we do it by district, whether it be the state senate, whether it be the state legislator, whether it be the United States Congress, uh, the districts. And the same thing with city council, who will be running in two years, uh, next year from now. Uh, each, there's 10 councilmatic districts. Uh, they, again, are represented by the wards that live in those districts. Same exact thing, convenient, highest vote getter. And then the chairman, and then they vote. I'm the 34th ward, and we're warding the 34th ward. I have 42 committee people. 42, I have 84 committee excuse me. I have 42 divisions. So I have 42 votes. Just an example in my legislative district is Morgan Cephas, who's the uh, incumbent, who I will be supporting because he deserves to be supported. So I'll vote 42 votes for Morgan Cephas, and then she runs in the 52nd Ward, our neighboring ward with about maybe 12 divisions, and a 4th Ward neighboring on the other side, she may run in about 12 or 14 divisions. So you add them up, whoever's the highest vote becomes the endorsed candidate. And the same thing citywide, except for on citywide, which is the mayor, the district attorney, the, uh, the city controller, uh, the register of wills, the sheriff, uh, they get voted on citywide by the 69 wardens because they vote until we vote to endorse 69 wardens get a vote to endorse citywide. And uh, that'll happen in two years from now. So that's our process. It's been there since 1954. I don't know how and don't, I'm not going to change it. And we do get criticized again that we should have it open and have have every committee person, 3,400 of them, come around and vote for all the at-large candidates, the, the five at-large candidates for city council, and probably have all the committee people come in and vote, you know, for uh, the uh, district council people. But that's not what our rules say, and I follow the rules. Well, thanks so much for giving that perspective um, on the process. Um, I had I'd really not uh, thought about that. I've, I've lived in Philadelphia, owned property in Philadelphia for years and had not uh, thought about that. So thank you. We have, uh, as I mentioned, listeners uh, all across the Commonwealth, quite a few in D.C. and elsewhere. And you know, too often they think of Philadelphia as just one giant city. But if we could take a step back, Congressman, and just you referenced the word in which you live. If we could just talk about your neighborhood and, and that part of Philadelphia, the changes over the years and uh, a little on your background. Well, the changes I've been... I'm trying to think. I've been a ward leader for like maybe like 40 years, I guess. You know, yeah, I've been a chairman for 34 years. And my ward is in West Philadelphia. It uh, starts at starts at 59th Street and goes along City Line Avenue all the way around to Upper Darby and then back down or back down again. That's on the left tip of uh, the uh, the uh, it would be the northern. It would be the southern tip of the city of Philadelphia, and uh, it's one of the largest wards in the city, you know. And uh, 
the, the neighbors have changed, you know. When I first got elected and first I was born and raised there, you know, and I like where I live, so I never left the zip code. I may have moved just a, a couple blocks away. And the neighborhood has had identification wise has changed, you know. A lot of the when I first got elected in the 34th ward was probably one third Jewish, one third, uh, one quarter Jewish, one quarter Italian, one quarter, one quarter uh, Irish, and one quarter African American. It's moved away. It's probably now largely African American. Uh, it's still a working class neighborhood. The houses are row homes, affordable, a great place to raise a kid. Great playgrounds, great recreation, and uh, great schools. All good schools. We have one major public school, Lamerton, which goes from, from, from kindergarten to 12th grade. Matter of fact, my daughter and my son both went there from kindergarten to 12th grade. And, and the best part about that, like my son's friends and my daughter especially, has seven or eight girlfriends that they're in the same grade, same class, same classroom from kindergarten to 12th grade. And then about half of them went to Penn State with my daughter. So they, the, the friendships are just locked. You know, they just families and whatever, and they're all grown with children and whatever. And it was a great place to raise a child. It's still a great place. We've got great playgrounds, great recreation. We've got great, great sports uh, teams. We have uh, football there. We have little league there. We have basketball there. We have a little hockey there. So it's a great neighborhood. It still is a great neighborhood. It's changed a lot, you know, but it's changed for the better. I guess it changed for the same. I should say for the better, but uh, we're still, still a great neighborhood. Uh, affordable houses, nice houses, row, help, row homes, predominantly three bedrooms. Then we got an area where they have a little uh, single homes, a little bigger, you know, but uh, a, a great, great, great stores, great cheesesteaks, great restaurant, you know, so it's a good place. And uh, as I said, there are 68 other wards like that in the city of Philadelphia. As you all know, we talk about South Philadelphia, and I fight with them down there all the time. We got we got good cheesesteaks too. They don't have the, they don't necessarily have the best cheesesteaks. And I'm sitting with John Brady, who's no relation, but that works with me. He's out of the 21st ward, another large ward, and they say they got the best cheesesteaks, you know. But so we so we fight we fight back and forth. But that's where I'm born and raised, you know. I went to grade school there, went to high school there, you know. Born and raised in my neighborhood, and like I said, I never left. I moved about, got married, and I moved my own house about, um, I actually got married and moved to a house about four blocks where I grew up, and then I bought, an, I bought a, I got another house that maybe like is six blocks where I grew up. So I'm still there, still a great neighborhood and great friends. Let me thank you for sharing that. Let me ask you, uh, when you use the term changes, and we're talking about um, great cheesesteaks, there's been so many changes in, in Center City and even down toward uh, Washington Avenue and beyond, and then all the way up through, I guess, what's now known as South Kensington, the realtors are calling it. Uh, so if you could speak politically, the census data is incredible when we take a look at those chunks of greater Center City, Philadelphia, just politically, some of the changes that have happened in recent years there. Yeah, that's that's the, the major gentrification areas there were men where, where families uh, raised their children and moved out, whether the suburbs, whether the, whether it's Jersey, and a lot of the younger you know, younger men and women, uh, the so-called millennials, whatever, or, or have moved in, and uh, it's it's again it's a city of neighborhoods. Philadelphia is a city of neighborhoods, and and they they do great, you know. Uh, they have they're raising families there, you know. They're fixing up their houses. A lot of them are old. And like I said, some of the people that 
grew up and raised their children have moved out and some of their children moved in or some of them even again moved out to the suburbs and moved over across the river but there's still uh, great neighborhoods and there's still uh, you know you're from the city of Philadelphia and people ask you where you're from we mentioned our neighborhood like I'm from Overbrook you know and who's from uh, North, uh, you know, Northern Liberties who's from South Philadelphia who's from Kensington you know who's from Juniata it's all neighbor, and it's still that way it's still that way it's still neighbors, but a lot of our younger younger uh, generation is moving in, young families, and again, uh, buying family houses that that are that can raise a family and 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 and, and are mingling the neighbors, and a lot of them are getting involved, which is a good thing. A lot of them are getting involved in the in in politics. A lot of them getting involved in in civics, uh, civic associations, neighbor groups. People uh, people say to me like, I teach a class at University of Penn. I've been there for twenty years. And I teach a graduate course, and actually always comes back to politics. And what they say to me is like, how do they get involved in politics? And not necessarily are my students from the city of Philadelphia, but they're from the region. They may be from Jersey, they may be from Bryn Mawr, they may be from Radnor, up at Darby, whatever. And I always tell them, get involved in your local politics, whether it be school districts, school boards, whether it be committee people, get involved. You know, uh, you, 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 you want to you complain what? Well, don't just complain. Get involved and try to change it. You know, and uh, I, I have, I have, I probably have a, a success rate of uh, my students. Probably sixty percent of them wind up getting involved with politics. And you know, it's nice to sit back and complain about things, but it's nice to get involved and try to try to change them and work to the betterment of your neighborhoods, betterment of your schools. I mean, as you well know, I know where you're at. I'm sure when you get out to go take a ride somewhere, you're like on a slalom. Or taking a driver's test, nobody's fault. It's the winter, you know, cold streets. The the the, the ice, the salt we put down, a lot of potholes, you know. And everybody's pothole is their problem. And everybody's pothole they want to get fixed. Well, if you get involved in some of that stuff, maybe you can get these potholes. You know, get you can have a voice instead of hitting one and cursing like I do every day. How many streets are? You can't blame anybody. I mean, we have money. There is money. And you can't fix them now. We would have fixed them when it was 60 degrees last week. Now it's 12 degrees. They wouldn't have stayed fixed. You know, you got to wait for this season to get over fully and then fix them up. But then again, street lights and traffic signals and garbage and, 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 and trash. And that's everybody's problem. But the most important and the serious and the scary part about it is our violence, our gun violence. I mean, now there's a new thing now. We're now we're the we're the we're the we're the, we're the carjacking of the of, of the state, or maybe even the the country. We we saw People what happened to Mary Gay Scanlon on Christmas Eve. Well, look at that. Yeah, a, a, a Congress lady just visiting a, a park where she uh, represents, getting in her car with a staff member, and they pull a gun on her and steal her car and go joyride and go ride around. Yeah, what makes you think they can do it? And by here to understand the gun wasn't loaded, but that doesn't matter. It still scares you to death. You know, I talked to her. She was, you know, she's scared, but she's not, she's not like, not afraid, but there's a fear factor, you know. I mean, I got a wife. I got two granddaughters, you know, uh, women. I got sister-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. And, I mean, you know, and they're not only taking, they did her, but she was with a guy too, you know. They, they pulled up with her. And we had a, a Marine, former Marine, not long ago, in a pretty well-to-do neighborhood in Northeast Philadelphia, was getting out of his car just to go visit his mother, and they shot him with AK-47, killed him and took his car. Then right after that, we had a Uber guy driving a Uber, 
that they stole, they, they, they hijacked, carjacked his Uber, and when he was running away from them, shot him in the back. What the, you know, it's scary. And every time, you know, I, I like to, I wake up, I'm up early in the morning, five, six o'clock, and I see the news on, I'm wondering how many people got shot today, last night, you know. And and I don't know the answer. I, I don't know the answer. I don't know who to blame or if there's anybody to blame on, whether it's a society thing. You, you talk to people, and it's, people don't have jobs, it's education, it's it's drugs, it's hope, hope, the whole going. But God, I mean, we got to be safe in this town. I mean, and I don't, you know, we just, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I, I, I talked to a lot of people and years ago, not many, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we had a couple of violence, uh, pretty upswing of violence. And I put together as a congressman, I put together a meeting of all the right people, the police commissioner, the U.S. attorney, the, 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 the attorney general in the state, our commissioners and and mayors or whatever. I think what we need to do that again, we probably need help. I would think that um, maybe in the process of doing it, somebody told me I should do it and, and get our former police commissioners, get our former mayors, get our existing police commissioner. I've talked to all the police commissioners I know personally. I don't know the new one outlaw. I mean, I don't even matter yet. I'm, I'm might, might have been in a press conference with her, but I knew all the former police commissioners and all the former mayors and maybe put them in a room with the clergy you know, with, with, uh, I mean, I had a meeting, I had the Cardinal even there, you know, and let's just try to figure out and, and naturally without question, uh, community people. I mean, they're the ones that are in the front line, you know, and putting them together and saying, look, what, what do we, what do you think we need to do here? You know, uh, I know we have money, but wh- where do you spend it that, that works? You know, and we have these, I'm not criticizing them, but we have these gun buybacks. Like, you know, we have actually we have somebody we have an aspiration that runs for mayor that owns a supermarket. And you put a, he has these buybacks and you get a hundred dollar uh, voucher for, for uh, turning in a gun. And a lot of them have become overly successful. I mean, they're talking about sometimes you're talking about thousands of guns, at least hundreds of them getting turned in. The next day or that day, the, the shootings are still going on. You know, we talk about illegal guns. There's no question about that. That's, you know, I don't understand. When I was in Congress, I voted for every every gun control there is. I don't understand why somebody has to have multiple clips. Why do you need a gun that can shoot 14, 16, and then tape them together, and now you're shooting 32 and 36? Why? Why do you need multiple clips? Why do you need an assault rifle? The only people in the assault rifle was, is maybe the police and certainly our, our military. You know, what's the matter with one gun a month? What's the matter with that? You know, I mean, what, what their argument is that, well, sometimes the guns are on sale and they want to buy as many as they can while they're on sale. Nah, I don't know how much that is. And the most important thing is background checks. You can go to a gun show and buy a rifle. You can go anywhere and buy a rifle without a background check, a long rifle, a long, a long gun, long guns. And then if you buy a, a handgun, I think you can get, you can buy a handgun right there. All they do is do a, a, an instant background check that just checks whether you now or have had a criminal record, but the intensive background checks go into whether you, you had some uh, mental issues along the way, whether you had some other kind of issues, and maybe they would they would call neighbors. I mean, what's wrong with doing extensive background checks? It's my understanding that all these mass shootings, the one just recently now where, the, where they're charging the husband and the wife, the mother and the father, it's my understanding that if these men or men, mainly now, if they got checked intensive background checks, that a red flag would have popped up. Just like red flags are popping up after they shoot somebody or mass shootings. And then they say, well, you know, that's a problem with schools. And, and these people are allowed to get guns. 
some of them are legitimate. I mean, they, and then we have naturally, you know, somebody had told me I meet with these people and somebody told me that the gangs and these people that are doing the shootings, they want to kill somebody. This way they can't, they can't testify against them and they can't say that they can identify them. And they know that, I don't know, we have too many people that cops tell me they arrest somebody and before the shift is over, that person's out. And we have uh, certain people in the city, elected officials, that point the finger at everybody but themselves. They complain about the judges. You talk to a judge and they tell me that our district attorneys, our assistant district attorneys are all young. They're not trained properly. And they're just not presenting the case with evidence. The judge can sit there and know that this person is guilty. But if you don't present the evidence, he can't just, he's got to, you got to show evidence. And these young district attorneys, God bless them, they're trying their best, I guess, but they're just not qualified and they're just not trained good enough. You know, the judge's hands are tied. And then we have certain elected officials that are pointing their fingers at the judges letting people out, but they can't, can't be circumstantial, can't be hearsay, it's got to be hard evidence. It's, a, it's, it's, know, it's really I awful. I don't know. I do not know. I do not know what the answer is. I don't know. You know, but I, but 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 I know what I don't know, and I know there's somebody that does. And I think that we should probably put together some type of a meeting. I've talked to uh, I've talked to some people, and they told me, "Well, you do it." You know, well, I thought I I know I could do it when I was in Congress, but right now I'm just a chairman of a party. It's probably looked upon, probably we the Republicans we looked upon as like a political thing. You know, so. But I still may talk to some people to try to get it done. I hope so. And I mean, it needs it needs a, a convening like that. Uh, I, I grew up uh, in the Lehigh Valley, as you know, and uh, we got off the first day of hunting season 25 years ago in high school. And uh, I mentioned this just because looking uh, back to the politics and John Fetterman and Connor Lamb coming from out west, maybe where the gun culture is somewhat differently and then everywhere in between in so many counties across the Commonwealth, uh, there's a culture around hunting and um, crime isn't as prevalent. Uh, so. I say all this, uh, Congressman Chairman. How 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 do you think Connor Lamb and John Fetterman are engaging the committee infrastructure, the ward infrastructure, and the just everyday voters uh, in Philadelphia? I talked to John Fetterman about three days ago for the first time in four years. Three years. Uh, he has not been engaged at, at, on the uh, personal level at all. At all. Apologized to me for that. Made it made, made a couple of nice points, and, and you know, look. He, I didn't think that he had the uh, political uh, know-how or uh, know how to handle himself politically, but he did, you know, and I was a little impressed with him, whether it was politic and mere telling me the truth, but he said that he knew that I wasn't for him. He knows I wasn't for him at the time because I have somebody from Philadelphia also running a Malcolm Kenyatta, and they knew that I, I knew Connor Lamb. I served with him, but that doesn't mean you're not, you're not supposed to ask. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to try to have a meeting, you know. But anyway, he made a point. You don't want to be embarrassing, whatever. I don't know specifically what his background is on guns. I do know I get three or four texts a day, you know, for him from different people. Like I said, I had a conversation with him on the phone, and he wants to give me a call again and actually sit down in person. And I'll ask him. I know Connor Land uh, is, I'm sure, I believe that he's like for, for background checks. He's from multiple clips. Look, you lived in Lehigh Valley. Your people went out whatever week in December to uh, or November to go deer hunt. What do you want to do with AK-47 with a multiple clip 
Um, is that what you want to do to the deer? You will have nothing left to eat. You're not going to have anything and to eat. It'll be, it'll be like putting them in a blender. You know, people that go duck hunting, why do you need a multiple clip? The only people that need multiple clips are law enforcement and military. I mean, I don't understand that, you know. And then what's the problem with sending your friends, yourself, your neighbors off to hunt? Not a problem, but let them get a background check. You know, let them, let them, let them, let them not take the automatic weapons. And I don't understand that, you know. And I, I do know Connor Lamb is he's out of hunting area, but I do believe he's for extensive background checks. I believe he's against multiple clips. And then also to be able to buy a gun and multiple guns. I understand again that, you know, look, I like this certain gun. It's on sale. I want to buy five of them. What are you going to do with a collector? I mean, what are you going to do with five guns? They can't be worth any money. They're brand new. The only guns that are worth any money are the older guns or the ones like, you know, like just like Colt, I think, is out of business. So if you have a couple of Colts and you have them for a while, they may be worth some money. But, you know, uh, why can't you buy one a month? Why do you got to get? Well, and why could, why, why I can go to a gun show and show my driver's license and come home with a gun the same exact day. What's wrong with me waiting five days, six days, doing extensive background check? And again, my point is that every one of these mass murders, people that, that are shooting these schools, God forbid, and these religious organizations and these, and these, and these movie theaters, every one of them would not have passed a, uh, an extensive background check. And I, and I know that Connor Lamb is for that. I do not know whether uh, Featherman is because I haven't really talked to him. And I do know that uh, Malcolm Kenyatta is for sensible gun control. Sensible. And then you know what happens? The National Rifle Association says, well, once you start here, then you'll take on more and more. But I think when they pulled them for extensive background checks, I think there was overwhelmingly supportive. They don't mind. They're, they're law-abiding people. If they're law-abiding people, what, what, you know, what are you afraid of? Why wouldn't you get an extensive background check? The, the, the automatic clips, you know, you know <laughs> and what they say, they, the excuse I got is that when they go shooting at a firing range, you know, to practice, that if they have 14, that means after 14, they've got to reload. They'd rather have 38, they can shoot 38 straight. But if you reload on 38, it takes you how much time to load 38? So you load two. 14s, what's the understanding? Or two, 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 whatever, 12, whatever it may be. So that doesn't make much sense to me. But we like to do sensible back. And, I, and look, I do believe people have a right, you know, it's their uh, right, uh, and it's their right, especially hunters have a right to go hunting and all that. But, it's, you know, uh, and then these illegal guns, now the ghost guns, we have ghost guns. What the heck is that? You know, it's a gun that, you know, that you don't have to, you can buy parts and put it together. It's so scary. I mean, you, you could, I wouldn't encourage anyone to try this, but you get it on an airplane. I mean, they're plastic. Yeah. They can't go through, can't get it on the metal detector. You know, I mean, how, how dumb is that? You know, and the scary part in Philadelphia, again, now we've got the god darn carjackings. And, and, and on carjackings, they shoot people and kill them and take the car. Again, a Uber guy gave the car. He was running away from them and they shot him in the back. Because they say they don't want them to leave anybody alive to identify them. I hate to wind down on a political note, but do you get the sense that all, all, all these candidates, you know, 15 or so running for governor on the Republican side and then all the Senate Republican candidates, are they are they coming to Philadelphia? Are they trying to uh, make this a top issue and try to make this a partisan issue, which it certainly shouldn't be? 
I haven't seen any in the city of Philadelphia. I'm sure they're going to come by here. I've seen one of them uh, putting his finger or putting his hands on the star, <laughs> the walk of fame down in, down in California, uh, or Mr. Uh, I know who he is. I don't want to mention his name. Sorry, you don't need help from you. One of the candidates for U.S. Senate, doctor, he's out there uh, talking about how he, you know, knows all the issues and whatever, you know, uh, Republicans. We have a Republican from the city of Philadelphia that was the U.S. attorney. He, he's, he's running. And we have another guy that now was in the military. And I'm sure he's for gun. He's not for gun control. He's out there walking around with a rifle on his campaign uh, literature, not literature, and his, his, his commercial, you know, with his rifle. And his, mm -hmm. So uh, I have not seen any one of them in the city of Philadelphia, but I mean, they're going to be here, I'm sure. You know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna come into their union league or whatever, and they're going to have a fundraiser, and they're going to whip things up and all, but they're not going to knock on anybody's door where our Senate candidates are doing it. They're knocking on doors. I mean, I've been with this morning before I got on with you, I was with Malcolm Kenyatta, you know, he was at a meeting here with uh, all the state reps, you know. Uh, I had dinner on Friday night with uh, with Connor Lamb, you know, and as I said that uh, Fetterman talked to me, and I was impressed by him, by the way. I was impressed by the conversation I had with him, and he'll, he'll be in Philadelphia. Uh, he's coming in Saturday. I want to be with him with the African-American War leaders, again, with Connor Lamb and with, with John Fetterman. Uh, what the Republicans are doing, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't hear I'm sure they'll be having fundraisers when the time comes. You know, they got, they have a lot about, well, they have about 10 people running, I think. So uh, they'll have their hands full. That'll be interesting to see who gets on the ballot, but I think they currently have 15 running for governor. And you can't name them all. <laughs> I, 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 I certainly can can't. I, I, Nor can I. I certainly can't. But uh, you've been you've been super generous with your time. What do you think the secret is? We're obviously a ways out, but it'll be here before we know it to maximize Democratic turnout this November. I know there's going to be a question about mail-in voting, but how do we? Uh, how do, what, what's the secret sauce? Because it's so critical. Well, you know, it, it comes back. It boils down to basic and old-time politics. Let me let me tell you what our stats showed. We do have mail-in ballots now, and, and I voted mail-in because I wanted to see what it was like. You know, I wanted to see the ballot, and it's pretty confusing, by the way. You know, and, and you know, it was a lot of people on it, by the way, and I had to turn the page and, and whatever. But the stat that that that, that kind of impressed me the most was. The walk-in ballots, the ballots that people go to the polls and don't do the mail-in, we get that result that night and at very latest the next day. But most of the time we get it that night because our police officers go around and collect the flash sheets, whatever, and they turn them in and they turn them in. And everything's computerized now. And, and we probably know just what the turnout was and who's winning with the walk-in ballots. And just take the presidential. I think Joe Biden won like 97 percent of the walk-ins, but only like 65% of the mailings. So what that tells me is that our committee people that are out there, you go to polls and you have committee people, not the ones that nobody knows and jumps ahead of the committee person and hands a ballot out to the person coming in the vote, but the committee people that are there, that are there on the polls, that live there, that know their neighbors, they worship with them, they go to the supermarket with them, they take their kids to school back and forth with them, they may be going to recreation, to, to, the, to the rec centers, or to little leagues and whatever. They're the ones that are our committee people that are the on the boots, on the ground. They're, 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 they're the soldiers out there. They're, 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 they're the ground people. 
and they're the ones that know, you know. So we need to do both. We, we, we need to do both. Now, we conformed with the mail-in ballots in the city for the Democratic City Committee. With that, I mean, we know when you get a mail-in ballot. We know when you apply for one. And we get a list that you apply for a mail-in ballot. That means even though we can we have the finances, we're going to send you what you did do in this judicial election. We were like 99.9% effective with all our judicial candidates. We know you got a mail ballot because you applied for it. And then we have time to send you a mail, a, a piece of literature with our doors ticket on it before you get the actual mail-in ballot that you can fill out. So you're filling out a mail-in ballot and you have a piece of literature from some from Democratic City Committee because you you're a Democrat, we're going to send it to you a Democrat. You can only vote in the primary as a Democrat, you know, and or Republican if you're Republican. And you'll have, you'll, 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 we'll be able to at least show you what the Democratic candidates endorse ticket is. And that's effective. And then we know that you voted because we'll know when the ballot comes in. And then, you know, you have the, the threes, people that vote in every election, the twos, the people vote every other election that. The ones that people, the ones that vote every election, the twos every, and the threes that vote like maybe sporadically. Well, once we see you did that, we can expand our universe and don't send you another piece of mail. How many pieces of mail do you get on election day? You I mean you get tons of it? Even I don't know if you ever voted by by mail on ballot. I did because I wanted to see how it worked. And after I voted, I still get all this literature coming, and that's like you know that's people don't know what they're doing because I never got a piece of literature from our endorsed ticket because we knew that Bob Brady and his wife voted. Why would you send them? And we can expand the center to the, to the twos or to the threes. So we're pretty successful in that. But it takes money and it takes work. Thank God I got I got a couple of these young men and women down here that, you know, can do that better than I could ever do that. But again, you need the personal touch. You know, you can't forget about that. And I understand, I'm not real sure what the numbers, but I understand that the when, when, when we had the COVID, naturally, it was... Horrible. I mean, our polling places, again, with our 1,600 divisions, with our 1,600 polling places dropped down to maybe like 800. So we had multiple lines, people waiting in line to vote because where you would vote in a polling place that has maybe 500 voters, now you're voting in a polling place that has 1,500, maybe 5,000 voters. So, and with the COVID, it was scary. You know, people didn't want to go. We had we had problems getting people to work the polls, the, the judge of elections, the minority majority inspectors, the uh, the clerks there were, were afraid to sit there, you know, having that contact, you know. So that was that was what really pushed the mail-in ballot a lot. But now it's dissipating. Now it's my understanding that the uh, percentage of people going to the polls is doubled that it was when we're at the height of COVID. And as you all know, I mean, we with my mask, I'm sure you with your mask, uh, you know, we're still in this, you know, we're not out of it. Now with the new, and I, I got to tell you, I mean, I talk to people that know uh, doctors and whatever that tell me we may never be out of this. We maybe have to get a COVID shot like we get to, like we get a flu shot, you know, and I hope that doesn't come to pass because a lot of people, again, again, are afraid to get a shot. And I understand from the right people, Dr. Fauci, as a matter of fact, that I did talk to. I'm friendly with the president. I had a chance to talk to Dr. Fauci. And he told me that 90% of the American people are going to get COVID. But 50% don't know they had it. Maybe a little cold, maybe it's in here. But the problem with that is that they maybe they don't know they had it because they had a mild case. But they get their carriers and they can increase it, you know. And then he told me that that 98% of the people that are in a hospital with COVID aren't vaccinated. 
you know. Now, I don't know what more has to be said and done to get people to realize that maybe they should get vaccinated. Now, I don't want to die and I don't want to get sick, but I certainly want to bring it to my grandchildren, my wife, my daughter, my son, my great-grandchildren, my great-grandfather. I don't want to be responsible for getting them sick. Now, all our families vaccinated and uh, I believe that I believe in it. I believe that they should. You know, I'm, I'm not mad at people that aren't. I'm not judging them for they're not doing it. But I got a couple of good friends of mine that said, well, I'm not getting vaccinated. I don't need it. I'm healthy. I'm healthy. They got COVID. And boy, were they sorry they didn't get vaccinated because they escaped and they didn't die, thank God. But but they're in a ventilator for, for three, four days. As scary as can be. You know what's scary about that? God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, a member of your family gets COVID. You can't visit them. They're there. Look, people get sick and die. And unfortunately, we don't want that to happen to anybody, but it does happen. Nobody gets out alive. But you're in the hospital. At least you can see your family. And you, you, you know, but you're with COVID. You can't, you can't, you're there by yourself. There are people looking out windows. You saw the news, people waving to their family. And my God, you know, and there are people in there that aren't vaccinated. Now, why wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't you do that? I've got a friend of mine that got COVID. Soon as he could, I think he got away a little bit. He can't give it right away. He got vaccinated, and his wife never got vaccinated, and his kids, he got them all vaccinated right away. You know, So I'd like to see everybody be safe. Hopefully well, we can get out of this. That's remarkable. The city of Philadelphia has, I would argue, the best doctors in the world. The, the collar counties have the best pharmaceutical companies in the world. And, yep. and yet we're two years uh, into this awful pandemic, and folks just haven't embraced. But, Congressman, I want to I want to end on a... Uh, a high note. Did I understand correctly? You're a great grandfather. Yes. I oh wow. Great grandchildren. Yes. How, how old are they? And are they are they're, they're also Philadelphians six, or six, three and six. Yes. Yes. Oh, you guys, you, you got you got your hands full. Well, thank you, Love thank it. you so much. That's a sage advice for candidates, for all of our student listeners, uh, for folks in D.C. who think of Philadelphia just as one large entity and not a city of neighborhoods. So, really appreciate your time, Congressman, and keep up the great work. Appreciate. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing, and while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback, so drop us a note via our website, papoliticspodcast.org. And a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this is Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics.